CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, this is David Tizzo from Howling Sycamore, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Coors Light presents Heavy Montreal, July 28th and 29th, outdoors at Parc Jean Drapeau. Featuring Avenged Sevenfold, Rob Zombie, and Marilyn Manson. A weekend of hard rock and metal with Gojira, Emperor, Under Oath, Hollywood Undead, and many more. Festival passes are on sale now. See the full lineup at heavymontreal.com. Produced by Avenco. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. This is the Sean Baker Orchestra with Which Way to Radio Land.
Hey guys, welcome to an epic edition of the podcast. Wow, what's going on? We got so many interviews on today's show. Uh, we got Scott, the former bassist of Caius. He's with us. We got Ross Friedman, a.k.a. Ross the Boss, former Manowar guitar player, current death dealer, and Ross the Boss guitar player. And we have Mike from The Absence. They got a brand new record out called A Gift for the Obsessed. And last but not least, we have Davida Tizo from the Howling Sycamore Band or Project or whatever you want to call it. That's the thing with Jason McMaster's. So all four of those guys are here. Let's get things started right now with Ross the Boss. This is new music by him. And I got to tell you, this new record that he's got out by Blood Sworn is excellent. This is called Among the Bones, featuring Mike LaPond on bass, by the way, from Symphony X. Here we go. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and on the line, it's an honor to talk to Ross, the boss. Ross, how are you? I'm really good there. I'm, uh, you know, having a good time. <laughs> cool. And I know you just finished up a U.S. tour. How'd that go for you? Uh, pretty cool. Um, we went to Canada, um, three shows in Canada. Okay. And the rest is like East Coast, uh, Midwest kind of stuff. Pretty good. Cool. Can't complain. And the the new album is on the way. And I got to tell you, it's called By Blood Sworn. And it sounds just great. I, I mean, as an old school metal guy, not only do I love the playing and the musicianship and the songwriting, but the production, I mean, is just... It's it's just right on. I love the fact that the there's a, a rawness to it. It's not. I would say it's not overproduced. Um, yeah. Was that was that something you guys went for like on purpose, or is that just how it came out? No, we 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 wanted a, an organic record, um, along with Dean Ristler, a producer who I played seven years with with the Dictators NYC. Um, we wanted organic. We didn't want a drum mix record. We didn't want a computer drum mix record. Um, I, I, I think we got what we, we wanted. I mean, we played uh, right in the studio, basic tracks like the old style and the way bands should play. And we, we got energy. We were bouncing energy off each other. And uh, I think I think what we have is a really, really fine, fine record. I mean, uh, you know, I... Listen, you just said it. You heard it. You know, um, we're, uh, you know, the playing is is honest, honest, and it's not, it's not overhyped, and it's just pure power. Yeah, I mean, and it's like the little stuff that I just, I just totally get off on, like on Lilith, the opening bass. You just hear Mike's fingers hitting the strings, and I, you know, it's it's stuff like that that a lot of producers and people would go back and try to clean that up, but that makes it, it just gives it such a a real sound. Yeah, you know, Mike. We have a great one of the greatest bass players in the world in the band, and uh, he does everything with his fingers. He doesn't play with a pick. Uh, I I kind of like describe him as uh, the best cross between Geezer Butler, John Entwistle, and Lemmy. Wow. And uh, yeah, he's right up there. I mean, his technically everything he plays, he plays flawlessly with so much ease. Like you don't need because you know I never see him press. I mean, he just what comes out of him is just you know. It's just amazing, and uh, so I mean, it's we we want the rawness. We want him to be. We want it to be there. I mean, that's what we go for. I mean, <laughs> you know. So right on. That's, I think we succeed. Yeah, Mike Lapon, who is a, a New Jersey, New York guy, plays with Symphony X among a, a lot of other bands and projects and session right. work. Where did you yep. guys first meet? Where did you first meet Mike? I met Mike uh, one time. We he asked me to do a uh, a man and what kind of tribute thing for one of the guys in his band. Some someone was man and what was his favorite band, and he was sick or something. Or back at Dingbats, like in two thousand and four or something. I don't know. It was a while ago, and uh, he I, I agreed to do it, and I met him, and uh, he had already known all the. He knew all the uh, the Manowar songs and right. uh, yeah, so he was a Manowar acolyte. I would I would say um, grew, grew up on it, raised on Manowar, you know, and he knew everything. And it was a pleasure. We we, we became good friends, and then um, you know he, uh, you know I I, I I know him from all sorts of other projects, and 
when I needed the bass player, he was the first guy. I, I mean, I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to think about it. I just called him and he was there last year. Right on. And he sounds great. I mean, so many songs oh on my this God. record that I, I love. Among oh. the Bones, Devil's Day. I mean, that raw sound that you have on the guitar where it just kicks in on Devil's Day right at the top of the song. It just yeah. gives me goosebumps. Well, well, Mike, exactly. Mike Mike also wrote Devil's Day and Fistful cool? of Hate. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. And I mean, Devil's Day is a Manowalk style of riff. Yeah. You know? And he wrote it. I mean, that's how that's how influenced he is on Mano, by Manowalk, but it was it's a great i mean you know his contribution is just un, untold we wrote we, we we wrote these songs together and um he just was such a such a great partner right on and you know the song this is vengeance another one that i love i mean that vocal at the top just oh god immediately hooks you in <laughs> but let's talk about who's handling the vocals on this record okay all right well his name is mark lopes and um i think right now he's I, I think I don't see anyone that's better than him. He's I mean, great. I, I, oh God! And you know what? What happened? What I really loved about him when I when I first saw him was his was his enthusiasm, was his dedication, was was his stage presence, was his was his um, ability to you know reach up high and go low. Um, you know, it's just. As far as singers goes, I thought he was the complete. I know he's the complete package, and uh, you know. And I was wondering, well, what 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 will it do? What will we do when come up with when it's time to do original stuff? I mean, that's the uh, that's the benchmark of a singer. And um, he rose to the occasion. He absolutely uh, came up with amazing stuff, uh, rock and roll, you know, metal metal hooks, and you know, it's all there on the record. And his 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 um, his layering and his. Well, you know his lyrics, and it's it's really good. You know, it's the complete package. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, great, great pipes on him. And you mentioned that yeah. Mike had had done some writing on the record. Is this a collaborative effort as far as the songwriting goes on this record? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote I wrote about let's see seven seven Mark and Mark uh, and his guy from Let Us Pray wrote We Are the Night. Um, and then Mike wrote Fistful of Hate and, uh, Devil's Day. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then also the link that was sent to me didn't include these songs. So I wanted to ask you about them. Um, there's some Man of War covers that are, I guess, included on the, the Digipack. Yes. Yeah, we, I, um, ASM really, you know, why don't you just uh, redo a couple of songs that you want, if you always wanted to do, I say, okay, I think that's a good idea. Um, it's, you know, I, I always wanted to redo each dawn I die, the oath and hail and kill, because I was never really, really happy with the mixes there. Okay. And, uh, we did it and it just came out great. Just fantastic. And I would think those classic songs like that would fit really well with with these these newer songs that mm-hmm. on the record because again they do have a real classic sound and and songwriting style about them. Yep. Cool. And so you guys are now absolutely. You guys are now getting ready for a European tour. Yeah, we're going to go to Europe. Um, we're going to go to Germany first. Um, then uh, play one show in Germany. Then we're going to do the Wacken Boat Cruise. 
and then about four, five other show, five other Euro shows. Then we go, we we fly from Europe to Australia, and we're going to do four shows in um, Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, and someone another city. Four shows in four shows in uh, Australia. Very cool. Very cool. And again, guys, we are talking with Ross, the boss, and the new record is by Blood Swarm. It is out on April 20th, so definitely go pick this up. It is great stuff. The listeners of Talking Metal will not be be disappointed in this record. And uh, Ross, while we have you here, I wanted to just check in on, on Death Dealer. There's rumblings on the internet that you guys might be working on a, a new record, too. I think so. I think the third record will be out. Um, I don't know when it's going to be out because RTB has the has the priority, and as well we have. Uh, and speaking of Death Deal, we have Steve Bolognese playing drums now in the band. So, okay. um, yeah. he played uh, on on Hollowed Ground. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, family kind of a thing. Also, right. when we go to Australia, Stu's band Night Legion will be open will be opening for us. Cool. Cool. So, how far along are you with the Death Dealer record at this point? Well, there are there are songs done, um, but there is work to do still. But that's no problem. We could do that uh, easily. As I said, um, Stu has Night Legion. Um, uh, uh, Sean has Cage and his other projects. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're busy. We're, we're busy. Right on. We're busy. Cool. And, and Ross, I wanted to ask you about a, a, a few different people from your past who have, have uh, maybe been in, in and out of your life. I wanted to start with just the the great storyteller and filmmaker who I, I feel like really went on to become more appreciated and this legendary figure after he died, Orson Welles. He's somebody that you uh-huh. guys had in the studio on two separate occasions um oh, it was man, actually it was one was it oh it was one okay because yeah we, yeah so it was just one session and then you didn't use the yes uh, okay interesting cool and did he actually come down to the studio to record with you guys yes he he we were we had him in the studio um we uh we we asked if he if he first of all if he was interested in, in, in doing something like that, um, that was EMI. That was the guy that signed us to EMI, Bob Curry. And back in the day, and, and we got in touch with his manager. He lived in Las Vegas and he was in town for the night of a thousand, a hundred stars or something like that. Remember when that happened? Right, right. And, um, Mr. Mr. Wells, uh, really liked the liked the, liked the lyrics, liked the, you know, and he said he agreed to do it. So, uh, we sent a limousine for him and brought him to Media Sound right on 57th Street. And we, and we watched uh, women, women with mink coats just like become like fawning teenagers really? when wow. they saw him. Yeah. Yeah. But he was such a big guy, they had to take him up in the freight elevator. <laughs> and, um, but he sat there and he talked. And uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, uh, how deep and powerful his voice was. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, it was just incredible. And he did, uh, <laughs> we walked into the studio and we heard all the authors here. <laughs> and yeah, we go, yes, sir. <laughs> oh my God. When Joey and I looked at each other, was like, yes, we're here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable day. 
Uh, and did he and hang he did, out with you did. guys at all, like after the session, or was uh, it kind of just in and out? Well, he was busy that you know that weekend with the Hundred Stars thing at Radio City. He did um, he did Defender, he did uh, Dark Avenger, and then he did the the intro to Manowar that they using every every time the Manowar plays still. Wow, you know, ladies and gentlemen from the United States, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And back in those days, too, you know, I've, I've read little bits about Bill O'Coin being involved in Manowar, but honestly, there isn't a lot of, of written about his involvement online. And can you shed any light on that? What the, the manager who Bill Billy, Billy Idol and Kiss is what he's most known for. What was his involvement with Manowar? Well, he, he managed the band for a little bit. Uh, in the, in the battle him era, um, Bob Curry got him interested to manage the boy. And, um, I mean, his bill of coin was just like, get everything, get the, get the, get the record company to pay for everything. I mean, you know, the more, the better, the more expensive, the better. And just, that's, I mean, just for us, it just was unrealistic. Right. Uh, you know, so we, we kind of cut ties with him. Nice guy. Great guy. Just wasn't the, you know, the, the great right guy. fit for man war. Yeah, and yeah. Um, of course you had uh, some some great albums with the Dictators, uh, a band that really, as the press release points out, predated the Ramones with with that punk rock cool. style yep. of music. Mm-hmm. You know, in uh, in this recent documentary, "We Are Twisted Fucking Sister," Mark the Animal Mendoza talks a little bit about playing with the Dictators. What do you remember mm-hmm. about him? being involved with the band. It was a short period of time, if, if I'm correct. Well, he did play, he did play on the first, uh, second manifest, the second dictators. Yeah. And he's absolutely one of the best bass players. I thought, I mean, around he, I mean, he's absolutely an incredible bass player. Um, I've had the pleasure to play with many. I mean, let's face it. I've played with four incredible bass players, Mark Mendoza, Joey DeMeo, um, uh, Michael Pond and uh, who's the other one? I, I mean, it just it, I've, I've had the opportunity to play with, you know, in, you know, incredible bass players and uh, Dean Ristler, Dean Ristler from the Dictators too, and he's our producer. He's an incredible bass player, amazing. So, uh, you know, I've been very, very blessed on the in the bass department. <laughs> right on. But Mark Mendoza played uh, Manifest Destiny for one record and. Uh, and we decided to go back to the original concept of the band, which was the four of us, Andy playing bass, ah. like we did on the first record. We went to Blood Brothers, the third record. Okay, so he was let go from the band then. Yeah, I mean, we you know so we tried something and uh, you know we went we went back. I mean, he's a great guy. Right, right on, right on, and it worked out for him too because I guess it was yeah. years later that obviously Twisted Sister. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Ross, it's been yep. great talking with you, and and really from the bottom of my heart, the new record sounds great. I'm not just saying that; I really am enjoying it. It is by Blood Sworn, and it is yes. out April 20th, 2018, and mm-hmm. through AFM Records. So we will have that link through AFM today's. Yeah. Exactly, and I think if you you could you could probably get the three other songs somehow. I mean, you should be able to get those. I don't know why you can't. Yeah, maybe be might be the promo link he he sent me. Dustin sent me. Just it didn't have those included for some reason. But I'm sure I'll hear them. Right. Soon. 
cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for the uh, for the interview. Thank you for liking it, and uh, um, hope you enjoy it. And we'll be uh, we'll be around. We'll be live. So you know, one day come see us live again. You know, it's a great thing. Yeah, I missed the uh, St. Vitus show because I had Alice Cooper tickets that same night uh, out here in Jersey. Oh. So otherwise, I would have right. been there. Yeah, but next time for sure. Okay, that's been great. That's a deal. We'll keep it to it. Keep it to it. All right, Ross. <laughs> have a great afternoon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Their meaning will unfold. These words are all that's left. Though we've never met, my only son, I hope you know that I would have been there.
Defender by Manowar here on Talking Metal, featuring Orson Welles. Crazy stuff. Love hearing the story about Orson Welles. Thanks to Ross the Boss for joining us here on Talking Metal. Be sure to check out his new record. Be sure to check out our Amazon links to buy all your your music. Just go to TalkingMetal.com or TalkingRock.net and get that new music using our Amazon links. And you can actually use our Amazon links for anything. Whenever you're going to shop on Amazon, make one stop before you go there. And that's TalkingRock.net or TalkingMetal.com and use our links to link you over to Amazon. And this is for people in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So please do that, guys. It helps us out here tremendously. The other way you can help us out is Patreon. Be a... uh, uh, somebody who supports the podcast by supporting us on Patreon with a monthly pledge. Cool. Let's get into our next interview. This is David Tizo of Howling Sycamore. We'll get right into it, and then we'll hear some of their music afterwards. Hey, this is Mark Striegel <laughs> of the Talking Metal podcast, and we have David Tizo on the line with us from the Howling Sycamore band or project group what would you call this david is this is this a band is this a project how do you view this uh well it starts it starts like a um a solo project on myself where uh um i was then joined by jason and since jason uh joined me i would call it uh, a band yeah right i was uh two members main members and myself and jason McMaster. and Jason is known for so many different styles of music, Watchtower to Igniter to, of course, you know, in this country at least, most people probably know him with the, you know, from his voice with the commercial hard rock band Dangerous Toys. The stuff you're doing with him on Howling Sycamore, very different from really anything he's done. Uh, how how did you initially reach out to him? Were you um, a fan of one of his specific bands or just a general fan of his voice? How, what caused you to say, hey, you know what, I want to reach out to Jason McMasters and see if he wants to do this project with me? Uh, when um, when I started the album, um, to compose the album, I um, very quickly understood that I needed a voice similar to the one of Jason. <clears throat> And uh, my producer suggested me to contact him. And he was the first person uh, that I got, um, that we thought wow. was him. I was like, yeah. And uh, luckily enough, uh, he brought me back immediately. And uh, we started working on this uh, right away. It took, it took quite a while to finish all the vocals because the material, you know, is uh, needed, needed a lot of studying and yeah, it's not straight ahead yeah, rock. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very interesting but, stuff. Um, I knew uh, Jason work. We actually shared the stage um, years ago. And uh, when, when Watchtower were recording at the doing a festival, and uh, I was there with my if my band if it. and uh, I remember how impressed I was by Jason, and um, he perfectly. Uh, his voice is perfect for the Iron Mind. I wanted something like halfway between Dio and uh, Jesus, uh, Judas Priest. Right. And I would say the Jason voice is there. Right on, right on. And 
you mentioned a producer that was uh, that suggested you reach out to, to Jason. Who who was the producer yeah. on this this album? Producer of this album uh, is called Scott Evans. He works uh, in a in a studio in Oakland called Anti Sleep Studio. It's uh, is the singer um, and guitar player of a band called um, Kovlon um, Wall City that is out uh, for network recordings. It's it's a fantastic producer. He followed uh, the band from the beginning, uh, from the uh, pre-production stages. He uh, took care of the production, the mixing. He suggested the mastering. So I'm very happy. The, the, the album sounds very, very natural and very powerful. Um, you can hear anything clearly. So I'm very happy. Good. And now you're you're in you're in Italy, I believe, right? And the producers in in California, of course, Jason. No, I am a, I am a, no, I am in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco. Oh, okay. But you're I've originally from Italy. Two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm from north of Italy. So you you've been in San Francisco. You said since two thousand eight. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. I moved here when I joined um, Killing Crisis Band. Okay. Gospel of the Witches. Right, 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 right. So we were recording together in Italy, and then we came here. Very good. Now, you mentioned Karen was, you know, Jason, the way, when I interviewed him about, he, the whole, the whole album, which fits in perfectly with the sounds of the record, the whole production of at least his part of the album remains kind of mysterious. He, he claims that he, he's never really even had a conversation with you, that everything was done by email. He wasn't exactly sure who wrote the lyrics he he thought maybe karen wrote some of them he wasn't sure so can you spell it out for us was was karen involved in the howling sycamore uh self-titled record that that is about to come out with lyric writing well uh, i i think in a way or in, on, in another caring is always involved with anything i do since i met her artistically so we feed off each other energy and um uh, most of the time, what she thinks about the music I'm making is, to me, one of the most important um, feedback. I, I trust in her, and she does the same with me. Um, getting for this album was involved in, uh, she wrote the lyric of one song. The song is called Descent to Light. Right. Um, it's the last one. The song came out recently on streaming, and um, pretty much it, apart from giving him uh a lot of support and suggestions here and there about m- basically following my my instinct about things and cheating me up when things were not going well. She did that. They did so much. So. Right. Very good. And you you wrote the lyrics for the rest of the record? Yes. Yes, I did. Cool. Yeah, Jason, Jason said Jason, maybe... Uh, he, he, the, the very beginning, yeah. Jason said he, he changed maybe a to. word here or there, but he he credited <laughs> yeah. you and and yeah. he thought Karen with with the lyrics for the for the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. And let's talk about. Do you consider this a concept record? Can you talk about what the record to you, as as the person who wrote most of the lyrics, is about? Yeah, um, this is a record that happened um, in a, in a very interesting way. So I was asked to um, play guitar in a side project of um, uh, a guy I knew from the Bay Area. 
and um, the drums for the project were ready. So I uh, accepted to write guitars, and then we immediately realized that I was taking a direction that was not fitting the project. So I kept my guitar, and uh, he kept his drums. And from that moment on, I started this project uh, in my mind where that had extreme metal drums and uh, Jason-style voice. So I, um, in terms of concept, I wanted to uh, keep uh, dealing with the same topic uh, that I dealt with the last uh, two Eiffel Duat album. So okay. I, I uh, start from some um, Buddhist notions and uh, I develop my own thought about that or anything that I filter through meditation that come to mind. I, um, I write it about in lyrics cool. and uh, I keep, I keep everything very, uh, very open. Not uh, even I'm pushing myself, myself personally in the lyrics. I, um, I put a lot of uh, surreal images and gore, but at the same time, I leave everything fairly open for the, for the reader to, uh, to any kind of, uh, introspection. And, and so I don't, uh, I put myself in the lyrics in first person. I'm talking about myself. I'm actually hiding behind my words. Um, uh, but I'm there raw. My lyrics are, uh, writing lyrics for me is a process of you know, purging out. It's, it's very intense. I love it. It's a, it's, I took I take as much time as I write music. It's, uh, but everything starts from meditation, Buddhism, Buddhism, some uh, and some shamanism. I would say. Wow, very good, very good. And you know, uh, when I spoke with Jason, we we spoke a lot about 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 you and 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 and, and him. But we didn't really get into who else was on the record with you. I mean, the drumming just sounds insane. Yeah. Can you, can you fill us in on, on what other people, uh, are joining you on this, on yeah. this howling sycamore self-titled release? Of course, on drums, we have a uh, Hans Grossman, uh, that is a phenomenal drummer from, from Germany. Yeah. Most people know him for, uh, Obscura or Nico Fridges. It's uh, he is in a studio called Mordor Sound. And uh, it was suggested to me from by um, Eric Rutan, who I worked with for two albums, and okay. um, for this I'll do it. And uh, it was when I contacted him, it was free, and he actually recorded drums. In the whole process was like four weeks. He recorded the drums in in, in a week, but uh, after I contacted him, everything went super fast. As is drumming, and uh, his, um, his recording, he was following as uh, my producer direction in terms of production. We wanted the drums to be as natural as possible, and he did a fantastic job. Yeah, um, the album has also a few guests on on uh, baritone saxophone. There is um, um, Bruce Lamont from Chicago. It's a fantastic player that was uh, in Yakuza. Um, so many projects, and uh, he's um, he's one of the few saxophone players that is really a metalhead that I know. Well, no, I, I know a guy from Italy too. Right. Uh, it's it, it was a it was a very easy collaboration. Also, this one came out very naturally. I asked him to play uh, 
different way for different songs. Uh, in one, uh, I was pushing him to kind of emulate the voice in terms of uh, intensity uh, on his playing. I wanted to him to go crazy to to make the the, the saxophone scream. And uh, in the other song, I wanted him to to be a little more of a melodic approach. And I think his contribution is really, really wonderful. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he had some craziness to the album, especially to the song Upended. And uh, I'm really happy with the result. Another fantastic guest was uh, Kevin Osnagel on guitar uh, from uh, his band is with me. And now he joined Gargoods. He has so many other bands. And um, I've been wanting to, to work with him on one of my recordings since forever. And uh, been knowing him since I don't know, ten years. It's a fantastic player. He has his, uh, he has this unique dissonance. In, in, like he plays guitar in a way um, that pleased me deeply. He has a fantastic melodic sense, but at the same time so harsh in, in his uh, tonal choices. It's uh, I see he's playing uh, like painting and. He's a harsh painter. It's his notes are quite out there. Right, that was right. really inspiring. And uh, the last guest in the album was a, f- a producer from Portland called Fester. He did a fantastic uh, solo in uh, the song Let's Fall. A very groovy, very very uh, sound, weird sounding, and uh, uh, he get the, the the song to a a different kind of uh, as soon as his guitar enters in the song the song like take flight goes out it's fantastic so this is this uh, who was with me in this album and of course uh, Scott Evans did a lot during the production right, suggesting right. what to cut here and there and he was the and one who suggested music. Jason too right yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely very good. Great stuff. And the record, again, guys, is Howling Sycamore. It's a self-titled record. And it is a really just unique and strong and fun listen. Um, and before we let you go, David, I wanted to ask you about the Gospel of Witches project. I mean, we mentioned Karen Crisis earlier in, in the interview as contributing to, uh, to the Howling Sycamore record, at least lyrics on one song. Any, uh, you know, that was a very u- unique release back in 2015, uh, Gospel of Witches that you guys did together. Any plans to ever revisit that project? Yeah, um, we are actually working on the on our next release, and oh, great. Uh, great guitar structure songs are uh, music-wise is ready. Uh, Karen recently uh, wrote a book that uh, she's uh, currently promoting. It's called uh, Italy's Witches and Medicine Women. Nice. Uh, you, can, you, you can buy a, other website. It's killingcrisiseels.com. And uh, so basically, the musical gospel of the witches is another aspect of her um, artist self. And uh, we are actually talking, this week we start talking about um, entering studio very, very soon. To play uh, to record drums, the guitars are, as I said, ready, cool. and uh, the vocals need some 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 work here and there. But it's a it's an awesome album, and most um, we're gonna probably uh, put it out ourselves. So it's gonna be a, a quick process. Gotcha. I'm excited. It sounds so great. Yeah, 
Cool. Looking forward to hearing that. And before I let you go, would there, I just want to ask you, would there be any realistic chances that Howling Sycamore could come together for, for live performances? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jada and I talk about this, and uh, if there are uh, the right condition, we will definitely do it. I already uh, okay. I'm putting my, I'm putting together a live lineup. So, yeah. Definitely. Great. Great. And this also, um, do we see Howling Sycamore continuing? Is this more a one-off record, or of would course. there be be? Uh, there would be more records. No, no. I'm. Uh, I almost finished the the next one. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm def- definitely thinking about going back to studio very soon. Also because you know it's a long process. <laughs> right. It took us a year to finish the, the first one. Okay. Uh, I uh, imagine the second one to be to take the same time. So yeah, yeah. Guitars are ready. Cool. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff. And again, we're talking about Howling Sycamore, the self-titled record, which is uh, out January 26th. So guys, do yourself a favor and check the music out and purchase a copy. We'll have the links up in today's show notes. And David, it's been great talking with you. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for the support to the band. I really appreciate it.
upended by Howling Sycamore. That's Jason McMaster, is also known for being the voice of Dangerous Toys on that track right there. So, good stuff. Thank you for joining us, David, on Talking Metal. Let's keep the interviews going. Right now, we're going to hear from Mike from The Absence. Now, this is going back quite a ways from The Absence to get us into this interview with with Mike, their bass player. He also plays with Max Cavalera and Soulfly. And, yeah, we used to play this on Talking Metal. This is the intro to their first record and then going right into the really the first song their first record was From Your Grave it was a Metal Blade release I think we interviewed somebody from this band way back in 2005 but I can't remember for sure and I might be just remembering that we played their music on the podcast but anyways this is the opening of the 2005 release by this band From Your Grave and the song A Breath Beneath. We'll end the interview with some brand new music from them. Here we go.
it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on the line we have bassist Mike Leon from the band The Absence. How are you, Mike? Great, man. How they doing? We're doing good, man. I'm I'm so glad that you guys are back. I was a, a big fan of you guys back in the uh, I guess the Metal Blade era. I'd call call it back in you know 2005. That's a good way. Yeah, seven. It was like 13 years ago already. I can't believe it. Dude, I've been there the whole time, man. I can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, the new record is out. Came out last week. A gift for the obsessed. Great stuff, man. Let's talk about the band and and what how things have changed since that first album that you put out way back in the day from your grave with with Metal Blade. I mm-hmm. mean, the the industry and the landscape has changed quite a bit. Is it for better or for worse? Like how how do you feel the music industry is for a band like you guys right now? Well, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, a band like us, you know, we did take quite a lengthy break in between our third and fourth albums. That kind of gave a lot of time for the uh, music industry to change its shape. And as you may be aware, nowadays, um, it's a much more essential for bands to be out touring and hitting the road, you know, connecting the dots city to city. It's a great way to get our product on the shelf, right. you know, proverbially. So um, I'd say that it's definitely changed since, you know, 2005 and seven. It was, it was on there. It was on the cusp of changing right then too. Cause back in those days when we'd go on tours, we had the support of the label and uh, this mysterious um, <laughs> thing called, tour support that doesn't seem to happen anymore you know we had a certain budget allotted from the label just to tour you know and that seems to be something of the days past so you know it's a lot harder for bands to survive on tour nowadays and it's a lot more essential for bands to tour to survive so it's like a catch-22 but you know we still make it happen we're planning on doing a nice little campaign for this as um as soon as we can you know a lot of our guys playing other bands as well myself included and you know we like to stay busy we like to play so good stuff now you know it yeah. has been 8 years since the the third uh, and last record by you guys what's the current lineup of the band can you i i know it's not it's changed a little bit through the years can you tell us who's currently in the band well slightly it's changed um our original guitar players, uh, Pat Pinavalli and Peter Joseph, are no longer with the band. Um, Peter left, I believe, in 2010. We decided to part ways with him because of, uh, you know, personal reasons, artistic reasons, truthfully. And the same goes with Pat. Pat, a few years later, decided to leave the band and, you know, kind of left two slots open. We needed somebody, you know, a little bit younger and hungrier wanted to get in a van and, you know, tour and kind of, you know, just hit the pavement. You know, we had a, a couple older guys that didn't really feel like getting in the van and, 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 you know, opening for bands that they didn't feel like it was, you know, our place opening for them, which isn't their really their say, but now we got these two guys that are just so hungry and so talented and just great, great attitudes. Um, Joey Conception and Taylor Nordberg. And now they're the dynamic guitar duo responsible for the new album. 
And aside from them, it's still just, you know, me, Jeremy Kling playing drums and, you know, Jamie Stewart vocals. So it's mostly intact. You know, the guy, the three of the guys that really loved, you know, every aspect of playing music and being in a band, we've stuck around and stayed busy with other projects throughout the years. But it's a pretty, pretty core lineup still, except for the new Axemen which, you know, I think are even better addition than what we had before. The vibes for the band are just at an all-time high. Everybody loves one another. We're creating really great music, so it's cool. Now, had the guitar players, I know they're, you know, they're new to the fold there, but had they known each other before working together in the absence? Because they, I mean, it's the leads and the harmonies and stuff that they play together, it, it almost sounds like they've they've been working with each other for a while. There's just like this natural click between the two of them. Well, to that regard, I say, you know, both of the kids, they're a bit younger than the rest of the guys in the band. And from what I understand, they were both big fans of the band in the past. You know, they're, cool. they're great fans of Riders the Plague and, and From Your Graves. So I feel like they've been listening to the music for a while and kind of, you know, it was really easy for them to pick up the guitars and, you know, kind of mesh with one another because they were so familiar with the material. Right on, right on. And in the eight-year break that, that happened uh, since the last record, what have you personally been up to? I know you, you mentioned some other bands, and I believe you played with Havoc for a while, right? Yeah, man. Um, it's been a long ride. Me and Jeremy... Um, started, you know, when the band was getting kind of stagnant and not touring as much as we'd like to, we started reaching out to other bands and, you know, or bands would actually reach out to us needing, you know, texts. And there was a period in my career where I was driving a few bands. Um, there was a period in my career before I even joined Havoc, I was their front of house audio engineer. Oh, wow. And that's how I got, that's how I got to meet those guys and get close with them. And then when the time came, they needed a new bass player. I was right there, you know, it was seamless transition. So I joined up with them in about 2012 or 13. I think I was mixing them in 12 and playing with them in 13, but, um, we did an album together called unnatural selection accompanied with a world tour that lasted about two years. We hit 57 countries and uh, six different continents, man. We we really hit the pavement. And then right through that band, I met Soulfly. And when uh, the time came for me to leave Havoc in 2015, I pretty much had another seamless transition right into Soulfly, and I've been playing with them ever since. Wow. So we actually cool. just got off the tour yesterday playing the, one of Max's albums, Nail Bomb, nice. Point Blank. We just did a pretty lengthy Canadian tour with them. And we have a new Soulfly album coming out later this year, probably in August area of the year. Yeah, so. Wow, you're staying been busy, busy, man. I've been busy. Yeah, real busy. Yeah. Wow. Nice. I like cool. to play, dude. <laughs> Right on, right on. Let's talk a little bit about the the new record that you guys have out, A Gift for the Obsessed. Any meaning behind behind the title track, which opens the album, and it's just this fierce, incredible-sounding assault. Uh, what's the meaning behind mm. the lyrics in the song and the title? A Gift for the Obsessed is something that 
I feel, I think we all feel that every musician has a gift for the obsessed is, you know, any metal fan or any musician in general who has that feverish need to, to listen to the music and to make music. The gift for the obsessed is, as Jamie would say, it's like that culmination of time where you finally listen back to something you've been creating for a long time and you know, you're proud of it. That's, that's the gift for the obsessed, all the days and nights toiling over, you know, writing lyrics, writing melodies, putting it all together. When you finally have that finished product, that's the gift for the obsessed. Cause most right. people you would, you know, you would describe us as obsessive when it comes to this music and this genre and just our passion, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk to you about the genre in a bit, but first let's touch upon some of the other songs. Septic Testament, another one of my favorites off the, the record. Love that breakdown at like two two minutes, 20 seconds in. That's gave me chills. Yeah, that's a crusher. Yeah, it's such a, a good, solid song. Any memories of that song coming together? Was it a, a jam session or were, was it, you know, passing around files on the internet? How did that particular song come together? That's actually one of the most interesting and complex songs on the album that actually was one of the first songs that was written and recorded for this album. It was quite a few years ago. In fact, it's one of Taylor's first songs after he joined the band with him, you know, at the, at the helm for songwriting and, you know, writing all the guitar parts and stuff like that. Um, lyrically septic Testament, you know, I'm not exactly sure, and I wouldn't want to, you know, speak on behalf of Jamie, but a lot of the lyrical content on this album has to do with, you know, our toxic relationships with, unfortunately, past band members or, you know, a few people that have encountered us through the way that, you know, may have said they had good intentions, but maybe the intentions weren't as pure as they thought, you know, so we've had a lot of ups and downs in this band, and that was one of the first songs as like, it's funny that it's called Testament, you know, septic Testament, because it is a Testament. It's a Testament to, you know, just grinning and bearing it through all the years of, you know, people trying to bring you down and, you know, naysayers, just strange folk that, you know, try to take the wind out of your sails. Right. I gotcha. Cool. Misery trophies. There's a video out for that. Uh, again, you know, I listen to a song like that. I hear, I hear so many like, not just death metal influences, but uh, instrumentally, especially the band and the tracks have what I uh, I can hear a big traditional metal sound in those in those instrumental tracks. Um, of course, there are death mm-hmm. metal sounds too. But as far as the the traditional metal sounds go, who are some of the the classic heavy metal bands that have influenced the the band as a whole? Definitely Queensryche. Um, we're, you know, that's something we all put on in a car when we're driving together or the van or whatever, and we all blast it. Um, Judas Priest, you know, is classic Metallica. Uh, we love all of that stuff. We, we, you know, and I know for a fact that Taylor takes a lot of influence from like the Queensryche guitar players and priests, you know, obviously, you know, he takes into account all of their influences when he's writing and that's why, you know, some of the stuff sounds so familiar, but fresh. 
because he puts his spin on it and it's lovely. I love how he writes. Yeah, absolutely. All all great bands and you can definitely hear those bands the the influence that they have on you. You know, but I guess when people categorize you it's death metal or melodic death metal. How do you feel about the titles? Do do you mind being categorized as a melodic death metal band? I don't think so at all. I mean, that was our roots. That was our, that's our history. You know, we came, we, you know, we came from listening to a lot of Swedish bands. We love, we all love soil work from Sweden, Darkane, um, a lot of entombed, a lot of old and flames influence. We love that aggressive, but beautiful mix. You know, it's like good cop, bad cop where there's soaring, beautiful melodies and then it just next you turn a corner and it's a monster on the other side and it's Jamie just screaming at you, you know, but it's got that dynamic that, you know, the melodic aspect kind of hooks you in and then the, and then the, the death metal grabs you and pulls you under. Right, right on. And why, why do you think so many death metal bands have come out of the, the same area there in Florida that you've come from, the Tampa area? Is there a reason? Uh, jokingly, I would say it's just so damn hot down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Tampa, Florida, it's it gets sweaty and, you know. But I'm not quite sure. I've always wondered that myself. A lot of the classic death metal bands, um, a lot of my favorites personally, it's strange that they would come from like up north in Buffalo, New York, and then relocate all the way down here like Cannibal Corpse. Right, right. You know, they're one of the pioneers of the death metal genre and one of the flag wavers of the Tampa death metal scene. As long, you know, death, morbid angel, all those guys. It was just, that's what was happening here in, in the nineties. And I feel like, you know, in the nineties and the late eighties, we had our, we had like the Tampa death metal scene, which was carrying the flag for America, North America. And at the same time, you had it going on over there in Sweden with bands like Entombed and like Old Dark Tranquility and stuff like that. Those guys were doing their thing. And it was kind of like, you know, our version of that on our on our side of the pond, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's like when you think of different genres of music, a lot of times there are cities that are attached to them, whether it's Motown in, in Detroit or grunge in Seattle or you know, commercial right. hard rock in LA, but it's like, yeah, for death metal, it always seems to be Tampa and Sweden, you know? So it's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's I don't know. And there's a lot of sick death metal up in New York too. Right. You know, it's just the East coast just reigns supreme when it comes to death metal. Cool. Cool. Well, Mike, it's been great talking to you. We're going to have links up on talkingmetal.com in today's show notes to, uh, to the, the album, a gift for the obsessed. By the absence, we're talking with Mike from the band. And uh, yeah, thanks. I feel like you were on the show, but it had to be like probably like 12, 13 years ago. So, um, but I, I was having trouble locating man. the interview. <laughs> so uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm just <laughs> remembering it wrong. But it was great talking with you. Oh, good, man. I'm glad to have been uh, available and here for you. You know, it was cool. All right, man. What can we play for the Talking Metal listeners to take us out here? You can play my favorite track off the album, Thought and Memory, off of A Gift for the Obsessed. Cool. Let's check it out now on Talking Metal.
Big thanks to Mike Leon for joining us here on Talking Metal. Catch him out on the road with The Absence and also with Max Cavalera and Soulfly. Cool. All right. To round out today's show, um, Scott Reeder from Caius fame, amongst many others, including The Obsessed, coincidentally, that band's last record, uh, a gift for The Obsessed, which is not the band The Obsessed, if you follow what I'm saying. But, but Scott, the next guy on the podcast here, he played for the band, the, the doom rock, doom metal band, The Obsessed. Now, this has to be possibly one of the worst <laughs> quality interviews ever to air on Talking Metal. Scott was, uh, I'm, man, the cell phone, I guess he lives out in the desert there, and the cell phone was not good. And I was debating whether I should just throw this interview in the garbage or just let it roll. So I'm going to edit it as best as I can and try to clean it up, but even that's not going to save it. So give it a chance. He says some cool stuff. Uh, see, see if you can listen to it. If not, you know, just bail on it and turn the episode off. But uh, yeah, all right, man. And hopefully we'll have Scott better, back with a better connection at some point. This is a little Caius to get us in to our interview with Scott Reader, and we'll end with some music by The Obsessed featuring Scott on bass. All right, so a little Caius featuring Scott, and then ending with a little of The Obsessed also featuring Scott. Here we go.
Hey, Scott, how are you? Good, good. Hoping you... we have a good connection. I'm way out on the back side of the property, and it's been calm this morning, but suddenly there's gusty winds. Okay. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Hey, it's Mark Striegel from Talking Metal and calling in from Fireball Ministry and so many other bands through the years, which we hope to talk to them about. Scott Reeder, the bassist extraordinaire. How are you, Scott? I'm good. I'm outside at the ranch. I'm hanging out next to these two cows that are munching out right now. Oh, nice. So <laughs> where, where is the ranch, Scott? We're in Banning, California, which is... Between Mount San Jacinto and Mount San Gregorio, pretty close to Palm Springs. Okay, cool. Edge of the desert. It's like a bowl, and we're on the edge of the bowl before it goes out into river. And is that pretty much the area you grew up in? Yeah, I, I grew up maybe two miles from where I live now. Wow. Um, my family moved down to the desert. Cool. Well, I got to tell you, your bass playing and and composing and rocking out on Remember the Story by Fireball Ministry sounds just great. And I know you've 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 had a, a number of years now uh, with, with Fireball Ministry, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but can you kind of talk about how you ended up in Fireball Ministry? Um, I, I guess it starts when I was playing on the Sound City soundtrack with Dave Grohl. And our singer, Jim, was of the film and Jim Rota. before I left he said hey. yeah and we, we didn't know each other before that but but that was when we started talking about playing and they were between bass players so I did a recording shortly after that over at Jim's house and it sat on the shelf for a long time and, but they asked me if I wanted to play live at some point and they got a phone call from the Motorhead camp asking if they would play on the, the motorboat cruise. So they called me and said, hey, be <laughs> the time to start playing live. So, hell yeah, that was it. Thanks to Lemmy and Motorhead. That's when we started getting together. Cool. And at what point did you guys talk about doing new music that would become, of course, Remember the Story? Well, it's been kind of rough having a long-distance relationship. Um, they're about an hour and a half drive from where I am. So, you know, we've been jamming stuff on and off over a couple of years. And finally, it was just like, we got to do this. We've got some ideas bouncing around. It's time. And uh, they've got a room house where we rehearse out in L.A. Guitars and drum tracks out there. And I was working out ideas at my house and actually tracked out the bases at my place. It, it was kind of a, a weird deal for me doing it piece by piece because I'm used to doing everything live. But under the circumstances, I think it was absolutely the best way to work and got the best performances out of everybody. Cool. And where did you guys record the record? Most of it was done in that warehouse. You know, all the drum tracks and guitar tracks and vocals, and then all the bass tracks. And your your bass sound, to me, has kind of taken Fireball Ministry in 
you know, a slightly different place musically. There is so much great bass playing on on the record. When when you started working with with Jim and 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 Emily, was there any direction as far as what they expected out of you as a bass player? No, I'm always asking them, hey, if I'm going too far or playing too many notes, let me know. And I'm trying to hold back from how I used to be <laughs> in the um, early 90s, I guess. Um, so I, I don't know. I have a complex of playing too much, but they they never said, dude, kick back, man. Uh, as far as I know, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, from from my ears, it sounds just great, and I, I really enjoy what you did on that record. Some great, great bass lines, and and again, like I, I really think you, you, the band has kind kind of evolved into a, a new place, a, a great place with your bass playing. So, thanks for. Uh, <laughs> for some great music on Remember the Story by Fireball Ministry. We're talking with Scott. He is the bassist with Fireball Ministry, who just has an incredible history, which I want to get into. But before we do that, another EP that kind of slipped out without a lot of fanfare or or press was was Rob Dukes. He put out an EP late last year, the Dukes EP. Rob Dukes, of course, known for his voice on... Exodus albums, some of the uh, the the greatest Exodus stuff to come out over the past twenty years has featured Rob Dukes, um, but this was a, definitely a different style from from that. And I know Rob is a, a very big fan of of the doom metal and stoner rock stuff. How did you get to know Rob Dukes? Probably going back to the MySpace days. I mean, it's crazy wow. to this day. I've never met Rob in person. Really? Wow. Uh, <laughs> we were going to hook up in Arizona when Fireball Ministry was passing through, and he had a family emergency, and, and uh, we still have yet to meet. We've talked on the phone many times and played records together. <laughs> it's so weird. But, you know, it's like Facebook miracles. It's so weird to be able to make a record these days through the internet. It's really yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that came out, I think the day before the fireball ministry record. So it was kind of awkward for me, you know, promotion wise, cause I was pumping the fireball ministry stuff. Um, but you know, it, it was a trip having two records come out in the same week. Absolutely. What a history you have, Scott. I mean, going way back to, of course, the, the lunar womb album, obsessed way back i think that was like 91 92 and that that record has kind of become a a cult classic over the years as the stuff you did with with caius especially welcome to sky valley is it is it fair to say that some of those you know classic doom metal stoner rock whatever you want to call it type of music uh albums that you put out back in the the early to mid 90s that they've they are almost more popular today than they were when you actually put them out? Oh, they're definitely more popular today. Nobody cared back then. Um, when I was playing the Obsessed, we did... times while I was in the band. And we actually did a West Coast tour with Caius. We, we kind of rotated headliners every night. Okay. We would wool, 
nobody had ever heard of any of these bands. So there were a couple nights where we were literally playing for the sound man and the bartender. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, those are Caius and Wool were two of my favorite bands at the time. And it was frustrating. It was like, man, if people just knew, you know, we had some promotion behind this. And here we are, what, 30 some years later. And <laughs> if those three bands went out now, it would be a different story. It's crazy. And when you look look back at the the classic Welcome to Sky Valley, nineteen ninety four Caius album, how 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 do you personally feel about it? Obviously, it's a record that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But you, as somebody who was involved in that record, does it hold a special place in your heart? Is is it is it more special than other stuff you've worked on in the past? What what feelings do you get when you look back? Out of everything that I've ever done. Out of everything I've ever done, that was one that has affected the rest of my life. You know, that was a game changer for me, and that's the one that people remember. You know, they go to Gardenia. Oh man, the, the jam section of Gardenia. Um, I, I felt like I had to prove myself on that record. I think I overplayed it to death, but. I guess I didn't get in the way too much. Um, I tried to hold back a lot more on the the next Kaius record, Circus um, But definitely Sky Valley is the one that sticks out, and that's the one that gets remembered, and that's why it happens like Dave Roll calling me to play on the Sound City thing all these years later. And, uh, I, I have that album to thank for my studio and a special time and luckily there was a tape machine running right on right on and on that record you know the the one song to me that that seemed a little you know i mean each song had their own personality but when i when i hear demon cleaner a, a song that in some ways has probably become the most popular caius song at least according to spotify it is um that that song specifically kind of to me always had this this different vibe than than the rest of the Caius material and it almost seemed like it was a foreshadowing what was going to happen with with Queens of the Stone Age do, do you agree with that statement I don't know I don't, I don't analyze the stuff um, it, it was definitely a different vibe than the other stuff um, it was mostly Josh's baby, but that beat that Grant put down was incredible. Just to, when I concentrate on the hi hat, what he's doing there is incredible. Um, I added a few bass things like in the intro, the stabs, and then the jammy stuff towards the end. It gets pretty um, but that was pretty much Josh's baby. It, it was weird because we faded out on the recording we never had an ending to it and I think we only played it live in the Caius days maybe two or three times if that really and why was and it that was kind of, it, there was no organization to the ending and it for a while and then you're looking at it, uh, and it would just fall apart that's stupid it would be cool up until the end and it's like it would just fall apart um so years later, 
not that many years later. School covered it in 1998. Right. And they asked me to play it live at a couple of shows with them. And they actually did a proper arrangement for the ending. And it, it was so cool to be in the studio with Tool, swapping ideas on, okay, we should do this. And it stops there, and the guitar does this little thing. And, you know, it was, they did that. And they brought a lot of attention to Caius. I mean, the word hadn't really spread about Caius. The Stone Age were probably still in that time. Yeah, will help spread the word a lot over that song. And did they re- include that? Because I know there it was. I remember originally hearing it on Napster, um, one of the live performances. But was that included, like on one of those tool, like a tool box set or something? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I don't. Never officially I think released. Like a, no, I think there's just a bootleg on. Right. YouTube. Okay. That sounds right. That sounds right. And then, you know, many, many years later, later Caius Lives tours. And in the States, when we saw Caius Lives, I, I saw them twice. Uh, it was with Nick on bass. But the I believe any shows outside of the country, you you were playing bass with Caius Lives. Is that correct? When they first called me, he had a court date coming up. So he couldn't do the European shows on that little trip. Um, and they'd call me out of the blue. It was on a Friday. And asked if I could leave on Sunday. I'm like, this Sunday? Yeah. And so I, I learned, relearned two hours worth of material on Saturday, and I was on a plane Sunday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I think 14,000 people. Three bands. We had the middle slot. And there was never a, a full run-through of anything. You know, we a couple of parts. John wasn't there, so the first full run through was fourteen thousand people. After not playing those songs for what twenty years? Wow, that was pretty crazy. And then I did the Canadian shows. Nick definitely couldn't go to Canada. Border issues. <laughs> Scott, what's your relationship like with Nick Oliveri? Are you guys friends? You get along? Yeah, we're fine. Um, we were just on a thread together yesterday, I think. On wow. Okay. Um, there was a, a old picture of my band across the river from 1985 playing outside at Indio High School. And I'd been told that John Garcia and Nick Oliveri were there. And somebody in the foreground, and I said, I think that might be Nick. And I kind of on the thread and said, Yeah, I was totally there. Right, wow. Cool. And I know yeah, you. Nice. I know you released a, a solo record, which honestly I, I hadn't heard until today. I knew I was going to be doing an interview with you, and I went back and was listening to the Tunnel Vision brilliance record from 2011 there's some great stuff on there um thanks is amazing the silver tree some really really amazing songs can you talk a little bit about this solo album that you put out back in 2011 odds and ends that i've recorded over the years Uh, songs that i wrote five 
Just weird songs that never would have worked for a band like Kyle's or Be Obsessed, you know. And I, I finally had enough stuff to put a record out and um, sequenced it, took it to a mastering engineer, John Golden, that did SFT's catalog and Sub Pop's catalog. Okay. And it sounded cohesive. He listened to the whole thing. You know, the best thing you can do is just get the vocal level even between the songs and let the music dance around that. And when he finished it, it, it sounds cohesive. It, it, yeah, that was pretty exciting to get that out. Got a lot of stuff off my chest. Um, never got a band together. I always felt like it was egotistical, maybe, to hire some great players and then only have your name on it. Yeah. <laughs> so I never got into the whole... I'm going to start a solo band because anybody You do producer work too. You do uh, you produce other bands. Yeah, I've got a studio at the ranch. I've got Pro Tools and two inch tape. And I've done quite a few records here. Cool. When I'm in that mode, I do maybe four or five records a year. Oh, okay. I've last year, working on the Fireball Ministry stuff, didn't really have any bands come in. I had other projects that I was working on. Um, there was a thing. A lot of my friends, Warwick Bass, there and all these guest artists come on. There's so many names. Jeff Jewell from Six Feet Under started this thing. From Testament. And a whole bunch of people on this record. I did a piece with this Russian guy. But it's just a bunch of bass players doing like duets on some of the stuff. But in that, and I just finished a piece for this Pink Floyd The Wall tribute okay. on Magnetic Records. And I know the Melvins are on it, Mark Lanigan, and just a whole bunch of bands covering all the songs on Pink Floyd The Wall. Sounds awesome. Okay, Scott. Scott, um, the the connection is getting really shaky here, so I, I'm going to just wrap okay. it up, and I'll I'll try to clean it up the best I can. And uh, okay, you know, maybe when Fireball is there, is there Ministry comes, what's that? Is there a lot of wind? Is there a lot of wind noise? Yeah, it's it's just it kind of, and the voice kind of goes in and out a little bit. Um, yeah. but, Let me yeah. try one more option done in this this tool shed right here. Okay, I'm walking. I don't know if that's better or worse. Um, it might, it might be better. I can. I think I can hear you. Yeah, cool. that's <laughs> 
So, Scott, before I let you go, uh, we're all wondering if Fireball Ministry is going to get out there on the road to uh, support Remember the Story. I know you've done some, I think you did some festivals and, and shows on the West Coast there, but any chance we could see you out here in the New York, New Jersey area? Um, we've got a show with two five and crazy signage coming up in Florida at the end of April. Um, okay. A pretty sweet package deal. There's four bands. Um, they will be matched very shortly. But it's all bands that I actually own the record. Pretty excited about it. And then we've got the Psycho Las Vegas Festival coming up uh, during the summer. And there's talk about going to Europe. But I'm not sure if we're going to get to we're we're hoping to see up uh, in the northeast here. That would be amazing. And uh, yeah, Scott, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Metal. Thank you. Hey, Scott, and and yeah, I'm going to clean the interview up the best I can. But when you do roll through the northeast, I'll come down to a show and maybe we can do like a an in person interview for like you know twenty thirty minutes sometime. Cool. Yeah, sorry about the the reception's really bad out here. Yeah, no, I'll 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 clean it up the best I can. And again, yeah, when you come through town, we'll definitely hook up in person. All right, thanks a lot, man. Okay, thanks, Scott. Keep in touch.
Hiding Mask by The Obsessed, featuring Scott Reeder on bass. That's going way back to, I believe, 1991. Thanks to all the guests on today's epic episode of Talking Metal. Thanks to you, the listeners, for being with us here. And I want to remind you, we do have Talking Metal t-shirts now available. If you'd like one, hit me up with a PayPal book donation. They're 20 bucks for people in the U.S. I'm sorry, guys, if you're outside of the U.S., uh, it's it's going to have to be a little more. Just I'm so sorry. It's just the shipping is killing me. Just trying to break even with these. So if you're outside of the U.S., if you can try to send me 23 U.S. dollars, I will get the shirt out to you. All right, just let me know your address and your shirt size. All right, dudes, I really appreciate it. And you also, if you do a monthly pledge on Patreon, you also get a a T-shirt. It just has to be more than 5 bucks a month, and I'll get that out to you. Just, uh, yeah, anything you need, anything you want to talk about, Hit me up at mark at talkingmetal.com. If you do do a uh, a PayPal donation, include your, you know, in the notes, include your address and, and size or um, send the PayPal donation. And then you can do a separate email to mark at talkingmetal.com with that info. If you hit me up on Patreon, same deal. Just send me an email, mark at talkingmetal.com. So, uh, I know to get the shirt out to you, uh, shirt size and address in that email. All right, guys, thanks so much for supporting. It's been a it's been a rough year <laughs> for me, employment wise. Not not even a rough year, rough like like five months. I feel like everyone I know, you know, I do TV production work, mostly promos, is losing their job. Uh, it's annoying because I keep hearing how great the economy is doing. But I tell you, in the cable TV business, uh, no, no, I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, so the more you can support me with the Patreon stuff and with the T-shirts, anything you can do, even a $2 PayPal donation, it all helps. It all helps. There's the hotline. You can leave me a message of encouragement there. Request a song. Uh, I'm going to be talking to a, a podcasting company about maybe having them take Talking Metal on board in exchange for them providing me with ads. Anything I can do, I'm like scrambling right now trying to to make a living. So maybe maybe I turn this hobby into more of a, an income thing. You know, we'll see. A lot of times when you do that with your hobby, it gets ruined because you get a bunch of other cooks in the kitchen. But uh, I'm definitely talking with with people. I got to do do something. This is not good. All right. Had, had yeah. On that note, I'm I'm done. All right. See you later. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're gonna pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.